Hey, everybody. Welcome to Stay Curious, uh, the podcast brought to you by Hill City, where we value diversity. I'm sorry, um, diversity in thought and not uh, division in community. Hope I said that right. Um, It's a new voice. I know you guys are used to hearing Wags and Matt, um, but we have some uh, other people on here today, and I'll be leading the conversation um, just with some um, thought-provoking African-American leaders here. Uh, just in the city and within our Hill City community as well, too. And we're looking forward to hearing what they have to say about the recent events of the last two weeks. Um, so first of all, we appreciate uh, Hill City and Matt and um, WAGS for giving us this platform to have this conversation. Um, it is something that is needed for sure. Um, and I'm super excited to hear from everybody else. Um, so I guess if we can just do a quick introduction uh, I'll go first. Um, my name is Corey Goss. I am the youth pastor at Hill City Church. I've uh, been here for about two years. And um, I would say, as of recent, I've really gotten into this uh, activism role and have been an activist um, uh, more so because of the personal injustices that happened to me and that caused me to want to fight for other people and use my voice, um, you know, small voice that I do have. Um, so I'm just super excited, man, that, um, I mean, I know that this has been, you know, like, I'm not the first one to do it, but sometimes it feels like when you do it, like, does anybody else feel the way I feel? Like, do y'all know this is going on, right? Like, and, and you, you feel like you're the first one <laughs> to the to uh, to actually get it done. But, man, I, I'm just thankful for my mother, thankful for my father who also played these roles. Um, but for something, uh, for some reason, it just clicked with me for the last two weeks. So um, that's who I am. That's a little about me and how I got involved in this activism role. Uh, I guess, Quentin, you can go next. Uh, my name is Quentin Bolton. Um, I am a uh, active member at uh, Hill City Church, um, a fantastic place uh, to grow in your faith and uh, to have your family. Um, I am a technology professional in the uh, Richmond area. Um, father you know um also uh, my wife and i together we uh, support various uh causes in the medical community uh around town um specifically those that support uh families who have children with uh life-threatening illnesses so um, that's that's me sweet sweet all right rashida hi i'm rashida creighton uh i am a native richmonder and a member of hill city um I would say probably my level of activism has has always been in place. Um, I am the stereotypical '70s baby um, of the parents who, you know, made me do the book reports on all the black people that were not Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. So um, I've always kind of had a level of activism. I'm an entrepreneur. I have a consulting company, and just switched to that role earlier this year. And I think these past couple weeks have found me elevating my voice even more. Um, I think it's a level of I'm not in corporate anymore and I feel a little bit more free combined with I just don't care anymore and I'm just going to say what needs to be said. Um, But that's kind of where I am. I'm a mom. I've got a little girl. She's five. 
Um, and so also trying to make sure that I lead uh, by example for her. Indeed. All right, and Venus. Hey guys. Uh, so I'm Venus Bolton, the uh, better half of Quentin Bolton. And together uh, we have four kids. Um, as he said, you know, we are involved in a lot of uh, community based, and, uh, you know, we're engaged with a lot of different organizations within the community, um, serve as advocates. Um, in a number of different spaces. And as far as activism, I mean, for me as a person, I'm a, a military brat who has lived many places in and amongst a diverse you know, grouping of people. And so more so for me, um, I just have a heart for people. I have a heart to see uh, the connectivity uh, of, of you know, different folks and um, so I don't know that I would necessarily call it activism. It's just more or less I'm, you know, deeply connected in a number of spaces. And, you know, for me, this these last few weeks has just really provo provoked change in a way uh, that has just hit differently than some of the other, um, you know, situations that have gone on over the years. So. That's, that's me. I am a, a realtor. I also work and handle social impact for a local web and, and graphic design firm here in town. And, you know, just happy to be able to be here and lend a voice to the conversation. Indeed, indeed. Well, good stuff. Um, I know the first week, well, we, we got the news about the George Floyd death. Um, and I know when I first initially got home, um, I was just heartbroken again to see, you know, another black man killed by the police um, and just how that affects our community. And I was kind of torn because I didn't know how we were going to react. I didn't know if it was going to be kind of just brushed over or if it was going to be something that we really dived into and we really tried to get justice for this one um, other than the last ones. Right. And for me, it was so interesting because we were coming off the heels of the Ahmaud Arbery. So it's not like that's something that we were completely over. Like we were still dealing with those emotions and still dealing with the reality of that. And then you have George, right, right, right after that. Um, so for me, for them to be so close together, um, I think those emotions just just overwhelmed me. And Matt can tell you that the, you know the next day when we had staff meeting, um, like my whole entire vibe was just changed. Like my whole entire persona my whole entire disposition towards everything had changed. Um, and I think that's what really caused me to really get into the conversation via my platform. So most of my platform uh, are young kids, uh, I would say millennials and probably a few Gen Zers um, relative between Facebook and Instagram. And I wanted to see how they were feeling about it uh, in comparison to how I was feeling about it. Um, so I guess for you guys, what was the reaction um, coming off the heels of a mod Arbery? What were the like the first raw emotions that you were feeling, or if you didn't feel any at all? Um, I know sometimes you know like black people are not monolithic. We all don't think the same. We all don't, you know, uh, do things the exact same way. But I know I was fearful. I was right. like straight up, yo, let's go, let's ride. We protesting tonight, you know, because it was that it really hit home and made sense for me that day. But for you guys. What was the first initial reaction? I'll say for me, um, 
there was, I think my initial reaction was rage. And there were two things that happened, right? You had the Amy Cooper, Christian Cooper situation. And it all came out at the same time. And Amy Cooper's actions and behaviors and listening to that recording and and hearing her in a very calculated way put this man's life at risk, um, that sent me over the edge. And I think that for me played into some of the white woman in distress behaviors but it was like you knew exactly what you were doing, right? That calculated thing, that's what sent me into a rage. And then I have never watched the video. I, I won't. I can't. I can't. I can't handle it. Um, but every time I saw the image of the officer kneeling on him, like that was too much for me. So that sent me over the edge. And then... I think it was later that week, the CNN uh, reporter who was um, arrested, Omar Jimenez, I think. Yeah. That clip is what broke me. Mm. Because I watched it, I knew it was the next morning, I knew he had been released, I knew he was fine, but I watched this black man on camera right? Do all the quote unquote right things. And as they took him away into this sea of officers, I literally almost became hysterical. Like, are we ever going to see him again? That was the thing that broke me. So I went from like a rage to just a breaking. And then a why does this keep happening? And it's not that it's new. What I've shared with other folks that I've talked to is it is that we are in a space and a time for the past few months where we have been able or been forced to like face our own thoughts mm. in everything, even before all this happened, right? You're home. There's not a lot you can do. You have to like sit with your thoughts. You don't have all these escapes. Yeah, I did probably what everybody did. I did the Zooms and the IG lives and all that stuff. And that is overwhelming. And so then I had to pull that back. And when you are forced to face your thoughts and the things that are happening, and now you're forced to face the reality that we've always known has existed, but now everybody is paying attention to it and nobody has the opportunity to want to run away from it. Now you're just embedded in it. And my daughter was in my room. I'm buried my head in my pillow, like crying. And my daughter's in my room and she didn't see me crying. She saw me at the end and she said, are you okay, mommy? Cause you look like you're about to cry. And I was just like, done, just done. Yeah. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Initial reaction? Uh, well, so for me, you know, um, well, like Rashida did say, like she said, you know, it's been for most, for all of us, like the world according to the coronavirus. I mean, you've been home and, you know, um, a lot of us isolated. And so when I saw the Ahmad Aubrey, uh, when that all came out, um, I, and I think a lot of 
African-American males could immediately identify with, with that. I mean, I run a lot. And already, before that, already, I do everything I can to appear as innocuous and, and you know, non-threatening as possible. I don't carry my phone in my hand. You know, if I have on a hood, I don't, I don't, I don't put on a hood. I won't pull my hat down too far over my eyes. I make sure I wave to everybody I see. I don't run too close to parked cars. I'm trying to, I'm trying to exercise, but I'm also trying to, you know, get back to my house. So seeing Ahmaud Arbery, that struck a very, very deep chord with me. Um, I can remember a few days after that I was thinking about it, and that was the first time out of all of the countless times we've seen uh, African-American men and women and children be killed, whether it's by uh, white Americans or by police officers, I, I wept. Um, it was then Breonna Taylor, then Amy Cooper, and again, Amy, the Amy Cooper situation in, did enrage me because that was different than all of the other run-of-the-mill call the police on black people. That was for obvious for all to see, everybody, not just African-Americans, that she wielded law enforcement and expectations of harm to come to Mr. Cooper. So it was like, wait a minute, you absolutely know what we've been talking about. You know how to use this. We're not crazy. You see, you see this. And then George Floyd. It it was it was like the fire pit was already built. Each each separate event was more tender. George Floyd was just a little bit of gasoline and something that was already smoldering. At it. I felt so many different emotions from, you know, just angry to sadness and sadness for various reasons, right? I mean, I was sad because I'm a father. I, I, I have children and I really came to grips that, hey, our children are going to have this burden to bear. Also, um, you know, my, my son specifically I'm thinking about, and I'm like, gosh, our son is tender-hearted and kind, maybe even a little naive, but he's tall. Somebody look at him and think he's a 21-year-old or something. I, you know, I mean, all of those things. I, I was sad because there was rioting and looting. I was, I was, I was just sad, not necessarily and don't get me wrong, obviously, I'm not, I'm not like, hey, hey, right. riot. What I'm saying is I was sad because the conditions still existed that would cause people to feel the need to do that. Yeah, I, I just felt a range of emotions, you know, anger, sadness, maybe most of all weariness, mm -hmm. and just not, and just not really sure what what yeah. I could do. Yeah. That's real. Yeah, I guess I would just chime in and piggyback off of that. I mean, it felt like such a cluster. 
in short term that again, it wasn't something to be like completely shocked by because we've seen this happen before, but there was anger. And I think the most I could just say is I'm tired. I was so tired and you know, I'm a person that could find words. It's very, very rarely am I without words and I just, my soul ached so much that I just didn't have the words to put. I just couldn't really explain um, fully how it felt. It was a, just a deep ache in my heart. And again, I have a husband who runs and I'm thinking that could have easily been him. Um, and I remember distinctly that second day I was coming back from a showing and there was a black gentleman running across the bridge and I thought with his, uh, his headphones on and I thought it was just the visual of that struck me and within le less than a quarter of a mile of passing him, I passed a young white uh, girl jogging and I thought, man, she would never encounter that and I and in that short space and time of seeing that my heart was so burdened I cried all the way home just the freshness of that and seeing that and then having that in front of me visually was really a lot and like Quentin said you know he runs in this neighborhood often and I thought man all this guy did was go out and jog and he never made it back and then I look at you know, the other, you know, Brianna and George Floyd, and I'm just thinking, like, what do we have to do to not have someone's preconceived notions or bias or fear, whatever that is? I just, I'm like, what is it that, that causes police officers to approach us in a way that's different? Like, how do we have all of these examples of other people who have shown up in spaces looking far more threatening that are walking away with smirks and smiles and handcuffs and we have you know medical examiners and body bags coming in in spaces and so it, it really was a lot um it just there were moments that i just wept and i wept i didn't even watch the george floyd video i refused to but even just hearing you know, the, the key points about it and, you know, hearing that he cried out for his mom, I'm thinking about my, I'm thinking about everybody that has a, a, a child, like, you know, how desperate could you feel in that moment that you're crying out in that space? And so it just created a lot of angst and a lot of heartache um, as an empath, just a lot of heaviness, um, you know, and, 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 and then the anger, you know, yeah. to the space that I then have become numb. There was a space that I'm like, I just don't think I can feel anything else about, about this. Like, I'm just so tired. My soul is aching through this. And so, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard space. And it's, it's one of those that when you don't feel like you have an outlet or that you're not being listened to that, you know, we see some of these extreme things going on to get the attention of 
the nation and the people around us. And, you know, Quentin has shared some really insightful things about, you know, some of the thought processes behind that. But yeah, it's been it's been a rough couple of weeks. And then there's times that I just really look like Quentin said that I have a 15 year old son who has the sweetest, most tender heart. And yes, could walk into some of these situations. And I'm thinking like, have we prepared him well to even know, you know, you can say all the things, do this, do this, do this. But I mean, we've had examples where people have done that and it still has not turned out well. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I made a statement on Facebook, um, a pretty lengthy statement, uh, just concerning. So I went to the protest last Monday where the police officers um, pepper sprayed and tear gassed the peaceful, the peaceful protesters that had every right to be out there. Um, we weren't breaking any rules. It was before curfew. Um, and in my statement, I made the one of my segments, my statement we're talking about I thought that if I followed the rules and I did everything the way the system told us to do, mm. then we'd be safe, right? But in the moment that I can't see and uh, my eyes are burning and I can hardly breathe, I realized that that whole system came crumbling down for me in that moment. And that is the moment where I really realized, okay, there's a problem with this system. There's a problem going on that I wasn't even aware of. Um, so I was the black kid that grew up very black. I went to a black school, went to, a white, went to an all black private school, an all black church, an HBCU. Um, so I'm very aware of, you know, the black community and how to move in, in, in that space. But for me, I wanted to intentionally be more well-rounded. So I started to surround myself around white people after I got out of college. Um, and it's interesting just just the ignorance on their part to what they don't know goes on in the world, right? So I find myself explaining what happens in America as a black man and them dismissing it, them saying, well, that's not true because if you would have did this, this, and this, and that, it would have worked for you. So um, in that moment where I'm running through the Lee Monument and running you know, away from the tear gas and things like that, I realized that, hey, they're not getting it because they don't have to do this and they and they choose to separate themselves from this kind of environment um so you know i would say it and then after that as well you know i would just get like literally 15 to 20 text messages a day from white people asking me how can i help i hear you um how are you feeling let's talk and things like that but at that moment, I'm like, I don't want to talk. I've been trying to tell y'all this for years. Right. <laughs> I don't want to have no conversations with y'all. And then it's like, secondly, it's not my responsibility to have my conversations with y'all. We didn't invent racism. We didn't invent this. Y'all did. Y'all need to figure this out, right? But so my relationship with white people um, has definitely changed, I would say, but changed in, the, in a good way to where they're definitely listening now, I believe, and we have the attention of the whole world. But part of me is like, man, I don't feel like explaining nothing to y'all, right? So how do you guys go about living in that, in that tension of, listen, I want you to be educated on the situation, but do I really gotta explain this to y'all? Like, <laughs> like, how's that work for y'all? <laughs> I've, I've made two posts 
I made a post on my LinkedIn. I made a post on my Facebook. They're identical. That basically says, if you've reached out to me, I got your message. Thank you. I don't have any words to Venus's point. And then it was like, here's some resources for you, like three links. But um, Ace, uh, I'm going to mess up his last name. I think it's Callenwood, wrote an article in Medium um, about the burden of finally being seen. Mm. And he talks about this, right? And for me, I make a distinction. There's the white friends that I have that we've been having these conversations the course of our relationship, right? Like those are my friends. And we have these difficult discussions and we agree or disagree or we learn something from each other. Those folks call me all day long because that's the nature of our relationship. It's the new people that just realize racism <laughs> happened and it's still happening. That I'm like, I need you to go do some, Google is free. <laughs> because it's an emotional it's yes. a burden it is it's a weight and it's like bruh i don't know what books you should read i got some books i need to read right now right. like yeah google is free and everybody's got all these resources like please go find them or go talk to your woke white friends like please and it's not because i want to be dismissive it's because i haven't slept for two weeks because mm. my subconscious yes. is processing this in a different kind of way. And I can't even begin to explain to you what it's like to literally stay up flipping through random stuff on Netflix because I just don't want to go to sleep. Like, that's where we are. So I can't take on anything else. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said, uh, Rashida. Absolutely. Um and I mean, just the, the burden of feeling like you have to explain every feeling and, and you know, prove every thought you had is not some type of paranoia and point out, it's, I mean, in the hopes of convincing someone or making someone see that right there is tiring. You know, usually I'm a person who welcomes having conversations about uh, race, um, my experiences and difficulties. I'm completely okay with that. You know, what I what I find astonishing though sometimes is people who may even consider themselves my friends have a fantastic fantastic lack of empathy. For example, I didn't have to talk to anybody that's Native American um, to understand why they weren't particularly fond of Columbus Day. I didn't I didn't I didn't need to. I actually watched a program years back where they had, you know, many Native Americans on there discussing it, some historians talking about the history, because, you know, we all grew up learning about Christopher Columbus and whether or not he he found America, that's, you know, up for debate, okay. But we all grew up learning that. I watched that show and I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I, yeah, let's not have that holiday anymore. Let's change the names of all the teams. Let's let's go ahead and do that. For one reason number one, it, it doesn't hurt anything. If a portion of our population is hurting because of something, it doesn't hurt us to change it so they can stop hurting. Well, let's just do that. And so I find myself wondering, 
why is that so hard for my white friends and why is it to see and why is that so hard for people in general that frustrates me and the fact that i'm a christian and i see that in the church blows my mind and frustrates me even more yeah i just was tired you know i, I like i said i didn't have words i was tired I loved that people reached out to me. I loved that when I was bearing my soul and the, the, how heartbroken I was about this, the, the folks that reached out and really had some heartfelt things to say in, you know, and even wanting to learn and align. But again, I'm just, I don't have it in me to be the person yeah. to teach you right now. You know, um, mm. I'm trying to process this stuff myself. You know, I'm trying to get up and encourage myself, um, you know, so. Yeah, no, true. no, I got you, I got you. Um, Quentin, you said you touched on the church, right? And the church is the place that we're supposed to be the most united at, us being Christians. But sometimes it feels like our politics get in the way of our faith, a lot of times actually. I was talking with uh, Wags about this, and I was like, why do you think that some of the significant um, and the notable white Christian leaders are just now speaking up? Why do you think you have, you know, the Jensen Franklins and the Andy Stanleys and the Reggie Joyners of the world? Why do you think they waited this long in order to speak up? And uh, he said, well, you know, either it could be two reasons. Either this could be their aha moment, and then be like, oh, this is bad. This is really a thing. Like, I need to talk about this, right? Or they feel comfortable now talking about it because their other white friends are talking about it. And that's what the tension is for me. Because I'm like, with this whole movement where literally the whole world has acknowledged that Black Lives Matter, when just three years ago, it wasn't cool to say Black Lives Matter, right? And my tension is uh, now it's becoming trendy and now it's becoming, uh, let's help black people. And now it's becoming, let's talk about it. But it's like, once this trend is over, is this still gonna be our posture towards racism in America? Are we still gonna be having these conversations? Um, and you know, then, and then even when you have the racial reconciliation conversations, where usually, you know, the white pastor asks a black pastor to come to his church and talk to his congregation about stuff. But you can't even talk for real. You can't even say what you really want to say because I don't know who's in your congregation and who, you know, and their politics and things like that. So we still have to be commercial about our responses when we try to address white America. Um, you know, so it's like, man, when I see it hurts me because I'm like, it's a shame that now because white America said that it's okay to talk about it, now we can talk about it. But before it wasn't okay, now it's like, no, that stuff's not real until we want to make it real. You know what I mean? So that still vexes my heart. But the other part of me is just like, all right, well, at least we're talking about it. Right? But it just doesn't feel like we're still equal and we're, we're like in that respect and we're, we're still fighting rights in america you guys feel like that have you seen that i don't know maybe it's just me you know what it's a really good point that you've you you're bringing up the thing is and it's let's go back to even what you said as far as like how you felt with activism like until it hits you 
until it's in your front yard at your table. It's, you know, you may have a thought about it, but you're, you're, there may not be any heart and movement and actions that are, um, that you're really given to any of that. So the fact that, you know, this may have meant something to you, you may have had some conversations with some folks, but now you had this experience yourself and now it's like, whoa, you know, so now I think that, you know, a lot of the leaders that you're talking about, one, they would be remiss not to have any kind of conversation, not to acknowledge this on any level. Because again, what is the makeup of your congregation, your your family, your friend, you know, silence. That's that thing we talk about. Silence is actually like, you know, you're a part of the problem. If, if I'm not hearing anything coming out of your mouth, then, you know, you're very much a part of that. So one, and you know, I've had friends in this last week who go to predominantly white churches where last Sunday morning there was no mention mm. of the situation. And so what does that feel like as a black person uh, in a congregation? Like, does this not matter? Is it not important? We're not even going to reference it. I mean, that's, that's hard, you know? And then, you know, thankfully, by Wednesday, I guess enough people had gotten into the ear. So it then became the agenda for the Wednesday night Bible study. But again, why was that not first and foremost on your heart? I don't care if you have one black person in your church, one for that one person, they deserve to hear something come out of your mouth that show that it mattered. You know, no, it might not be that we can change it or do a thing that's going to, you know, but like to know that it matters. That's number one, to know that you care and to know that you care to a point that, yeah, I might be the one out of 2000, but if 1,999 get offended, they need to hear your heart about this situation because we're looking to you as our head, as our leader, as the person who, you know, we're submitted uh, under in this, in this space. And so, um, yeah. Uh, one, I would think it would be terrible for them not to have anything to say. And then I, and you're right, some of them are figuring it out. And some of them may now have a comfort because, hey, the rest of my, my people are saying it. I didn't want to be the one. I don't want to be the one that takes the backlash. So um, now I'm just like, okay, how do we leverage all this? How do we take all this, you know, now folks that are willing to sort of stand up and, and move forward with that? The other thing I will say is that. What we're also finding, what's also getting rooted out of all this is where people really are in their hearts, right? Facts. You know, I've, I've been seeing some stuff and I'm like, whoa, really? <laughs> is this how you're feeling? This is where you are? I mean, I'm in a real estate space. I have seen four people lose their jobs in the last, since the weekend. They started flapping on online on Friday. They had no jobs as of Monday. One, you know, an operating partner and broker, like, how does anybody even walk in a space where you have connection with black people that mean anything, even if they're like, they're uh, contributing to your bottom line and your dollar, how do you come out of your mouth in a space that's so derogatory or all contrary or insensitive? It's just, it's a real interesting space to see how some people are, but now what we're seeing is it's a heart issue. Like that's in your heart. It's coming out of your mouth. That's who you are. You know what I mean? And so that's been pretty disheartening for me to see, um, you know, not so much that some people have just taken a minute to come out because they maybe feel a little more comfortable. Like you said, it's a little bit, you know, it's the, it's the thing, but, um, 
I just applaud some of the people who've all who've been a part of these conversations and trying to do the things and it's just it hasn't been amplified until now. So yeah. Those are just a few of my thoughts. Sure. Anybody else any thoughts? I was the only thing I wanted to add was I think that um you know I'm paying a lot of attention to the timing of when people make statements because mm -hmm. the longer you wait, the more powerful your statement needs to be for me, right? Like, I need you, you waited because you were putting some stuff in action. You, you come out with some action steps with some, this is what we're doing with some acknowledgements, not a Black Lives Matter, we support you. Like, that's not the time for that. I I inadvertently engaged myself in a conversation over the weekend and got myself put in charge of something um, with my high school. <laughs> I like you, Corey. Like I grew up in black schools, except my high school. Um, gotcha. And I that a, a white student challenged about why there was no statement yet, and. Mm -hmm. Several black students chimed in with not surprised and here's the long list of reasons why. Um, and so it's actually resulted in some action that I'm, I'm really looking forward to engaging on. But to follow the conversation, one of the things that struck me about that discussion was, you know, all good conversation, right? We, we should be doing X, Y, or Z. And my perspective on that was, you actually need the black alumni to lead here because yeah. you don't know what we need. And so yeah. I need you to come alongside, but I need you to hit pause for a second and ask what we're, what is our agenda? What is it that we need? And then y'all support that. And that's, I think that's my broader concern. Um, the other thing, you know, Venus, you talked about the church and like how it feels if you are maybe one of a handful of black congregants. Um, I have very recently had conversations with those who are at maybe more balanced, but black led churches and some very hurtful things have been said in those spaces. Um, kind mm -hmm. of that historical rhetoric of pull yourself up by the bootstraps type of thing. And the thing that has struck me in all of this, and I think was most evident with the Amy Cooper, Christian Cooper situation, is it doesn't matter. Your degrees don't matter. Your job title doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. If you're black, you're a you're you're potentially a target period okay. and, right. and right. so like i have also unfortunately seen that across the board and i think that goes to us challenging some of the things that there are aspects of church that are firmly rooted in love god love people make disciples of men and there are aspects of church that are firmly rooted in you know, traditions and can be traced back to slavery and mentality that we don't want to continue to perpetuate. And I think we have to be critical about those things. Yeah. Um, we all have kids in some capacity here on this podcast. You guys have biological ones. 
<laughs> and I have ones uh, with my job, right? Spiritually. Um, what is the conversation that we are having with our kids? If there, is, I mean, of course, there's one to be had, but I know it looks different in different households. What I'm telling the kids at Hill City is um, for the, the middle schoolers, I'm telling them that um, basically this is what is happening in America and this is why it is happening and that you guys have the power to change this. Um, I was in Petersburg the other day and I was, um, they gave me a chance to talk on the microphone during the protest. And I was telling them at this time, I feel like white kids need information and black kids need affirmation. So the white kids need to understand that, hey, there is such thing as systemic racism going on in America. Uh, and there is such thing as people don't like other people simply because, you know, they're the, the, the color of their skin and giving them the reason why everybody's fighting and the reason why black people are mad and, and the reason why um, this has gone on for so long, where, you know, if we are um, talking to black kids more often, then they need to be affirmed that, hey, you are not a problem because of your skin color. You are a king. You are a queen. Um, you know, but giving them the realities of what happens and comes along as possible uh, for this to happen simply because you are, you know, black and you, and you, you are colored, um, you know, whether it's black, uh, Hispanic or any, any other colored uh, or color. Um, so what's the conversation that is happening with your guys and your kids? What's that look like in your household? Um, gosh, that's, that's, that's a lot because well, first of all, when these type of events, like when this stuff happens, um, for African American parents, I, I'll speak. I'll speak for us. This can sometimes change your whole parenting playbook. And, and, and what I mean by that is is this. So, when Tamir Rice was killed, twelve-year-old toy gun. It was after that. It was okay. Let's see, parent playbook. All right, we're gonna make we gonna me and Venus gonna huddle up. We gotta make a switch. Okay, look, I know your friends like playing army. You don't get to play with guns outside anymore, like the other boys. Period. You don't get to play with that. Okay, you want you want a little BB gun for your birthday? Hmm, I don't know about that. Not sure. Right. You know, after Trayvon Martin, you want that hoodie? Yeah, it's nice. You can't put that hood over your head though. Well, it's cold out. Isn't yeah. that what it's for? Yeah. You still can't wear it. Better to get them earmuffs. I mean, you know, it it changes the way you parent your child. Like, all right, you want to go for a walk in the neighborhood? That's great. Who's going with you? Oh, you're not walking down there by yourself to out, out in front of those people's house. I mean, you know, that that kind of thing. Right. Regular stuff that shouldn't be a problem is now, yeah, you can't do that. Because we mm. want you to be here with us. We don't want anything to happen. You know, so, but yeah, our, our children specifically, um, and Venus, you can chime in. They, they've had, uh, at least the older two, have had a little, a little bit of anxiety about what's been going on. Um, Venus and I have yeah. always been very kind of upfront with them, direct and explaining to them what's going on in the world and encouraging them to come with us with questions. But in this times in particular, um, you know, sit down at the table and say, you know, talk to them about what's happening in our city, 
what happened in Minneapolis. Ask them, hey, you know, what are your friends saying? What are you saying to your friends? You know, just keeping a dialogue open and letting them know where me and mommy stand. And, uh, and but also for our kids reassured them like, hey, look, we're okay. We're fine. You're safe. No one's coming here to get us. We're all right. So. Yeah, I mean, we had literally just had this conversation before any of this happened with our son because uh, his, one of his closest friends, a young Asian um, American boy, you know, takes a walk, probably, you know, a couple mile walk. You have to cut through the woods and come out into the other side of the neighborhood. And he's like, oh, wow, he takes that walk by himself. And I said, yeah, but that's not a walk you're going to take by yourself. You know, it's just not one that you could take. And do you understand why? It's like, you know, and, and he got it, but it was just one of those realizations, like it's a simple walk, but it's like a simple walk that you could find yourself questioned. You know, you know, even when you look at people saying, well, have I seen that kid in this neighborhood before? Or, you know, when you start looking at the phone calls came because, oh, this was someone that I wasn't familiar with. Okay. You know, I just, just having to think, and it's not even like you want them in a bubble because you, you know, you kind of do, but you, they can't, they can't reside in that space because they have to be able to walk out these things with some understanding of just how the world outside of this house, you know, might receive you. Like you said, Jalen's a tall kid, you know, to us, he's like, just, you know, a goofy 15 year old boy. Yeah, exactly. You know, to think that he could be outside in this walk and come out of the woods, like it's just a cut through that everybody takes, you know, all the families. But I could just envision someone saying, yeah, there's this suspicious looking, you know, black man or boy, you know, coming out of the woods and it being a thing. And so we had literally just had this conversation with him before the Ahmad Aubrey situation yeah. happened. And then I was just so glad. But again, it was just one of those visuals. We're looking at our neighbor walk out and he's taking the walk. He has his, uh, his uh, headphones on. And I'm like, that's just something that you can't do. You can do it with him. You could do it if we're with you, but it's not something I feel comfortable with you, you know, doing by yourself. One of the other things I think was really interesting in having the conversation with the kids is when we said, so, you know, what are you hearing about your friends? We largely live in a, uh, a area that's not our neighborhood's not that diverse. And, uh, and so I thought it was interesting that they had their own emotions about how their friend showed up and like, yeah, you know, our daughter's friends, she didn't feel were giving it really the credence or the, the type of uh, attention that, you know, I'm like, Oh, this girl, this one right here, she going to be my little activist. Like she had some fire, you know, she was like, yo, these people ain't showing up. Like I think they should. And I'm like, uh, that's that. And I'm saying if a 13 year old can just feel that in her space. And, and, and again, we're really mindful how we're having the conversations in the house between just the two of us, <laughs> because you know, we could go a whole nother way. We can go far to the left. You know, we're trying to keep it so that it's just not um, 
coloring. <laughs> we want them to be advised and to have, set some expectations, but you know, I want them to be able to experience it. So when I'm hearing my my daughter say, like, yeah, I didn't think my friends, they ain't responding right. I'm like, right, girl, they are not responding right. You know, <laughs> like I feel you on this. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Like me, and, and sometimes I do I do struggle with it because it's like I don't want us to then have them kind of looking at the world in, in, in fear and thinking that every white right. person is now to, to get them and that there's nothing right. but danger outside these walls. Um, because, because that wouldn't be great parenting either, you know? Um, it's a balance. And so it's, it's a balance. It's, and then you I, have a son yeah. who has, you know, largely his friends, you know, Hispanic and white. And then, you know, I'm like, his friends think that they can, they want to have these conversations with him, but I also, we also have to remind him and how they have the conversations with him, you know, like how you, you have a seat at this table. And it's like, I don't want you to have the weight of like, I have to be the whole voice of the black community, but there's certain ways that your, your people can step to you. And there's certain ways that they can't like, you know, there's certain things they can say and certain things that I feel like they should feel that they have to temper in and in and around you to a certain degree. Like I get wanting to get to an understanding, but you know, like, you know, kids, boys can just be, you know, silly and, you know, kind of just say things, but I'm like, yeah, no, Jalen, that, that actually isn't uh, politically correct for them to even say to you. Like, like, did I just hear that correctly? Now let me help you understand why, because, you know, I feel like you could be in a space where you're not, in and around a lot of other, uh, you know, this was different for us before, like we were at a black church, you know, we were around more black people. It's like, you know, I feel like you can get into a space where um, you don't even know that that's supposed to matter or be important to you. And so then that's where we as parents have to kind of come into school you. Let me school you now. Like, I'm not saying that every single thing, you know, if somebody steps across the line, you got to jump up on them. However, I need you to, be able to clarify and get some folks straight because you're only helping them. I mean, we say that as, as adults, like we gotta, I don't feel like really having a conversation and educating you, but I, you are my girl. And so let me make sure you don't go have that conversation with somebody else because I love you. They might tell you about yourself and it might be a whole different encounter over there. You see what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, it's a balance. And I think it's hard. Like my daughter's five. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think a lot about, and for context, right? She she was with a black childcare provider until she was three. Then she moved to preschool where she's one of three black children in a class of 13 or 14. And then she was in public school this year where everybody's black or Hispanic but she's getting ready to move to a private school where we're back where we were at preschool. And so her recognition of color really started in preschool, mm -hmm. right? She started to recognize and just ask little questions. And then there's the frozen obsession that causes that too. So like all of that comes into play. So I'm the, I'm the, you got black dolls, you, you know, we're going to teach you, you've got all the black history books at your age that are appropriate. Yeah. Like you've got all of that context and her school sent out an email the Sunday after everything happened. So very quickly 
um, just affirming the things that I that I would have wanted them to affirm, but also mentioning the incorporation of anti-racism into their curriculum, which I was really glad to see. But then I was also like, oh, wait, I haven't had that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so like school should not be the first time you have this conversation. And so now I am, you know, to Quentin's point about changing your parenting playbook, right? Like trying to navigate what does that look like? So last week, um, uh, the day that, that the governor announced that the Lee monument was going to be coming down, I took her that morning over to Monument Avenue. And we parked near the Maori statue and we walked. And I talked to her about what those monuments were in like very five-year-old terms, right? People thought color, their skin color was better and that's not good. And that's, that's what, that idea is bad, right? Now she's associated with those are the bad people on the statues, but like I was trying to break it down. And then I really spent a lot of time affirming her. You are amazing. You are beautiful. You are brilliant. Your skin is brilliant. You can do anything because that is really yes. important. And then, you know, I talked to her dad and it's like, I took her down here. We did this. He was like, yep, I drove her through. She's got two older sisters. I drove them through the monuments right after um, that Saturday, the Saturday night protest. And like, we're just trying to navigate how to expose her without inundating in a way that then jades them. Like there's an innocence that you want to protect, but you don't want them yeah, to be right. blindsided either. Man. And like, that's the thing. Right. I, right. I remember in high school having a conversation with one of my really good friend's moms. Um, she since passed away. And she said to us, I will never forget this. She said, what scares me for you guys is when I was growing up, we knew who was racist and who wasn't. Mm. And she said it was a particular incident that had happened at our school. We were really upset. And she said, you don't know until it hits you in the yeah. face. And that was a really tough lesson to learn at 15. Yeah. But like, if my child learns that lesson at six. And you know what, Rashida? So Quentin and I, for a long, we've been married for going on 22 years. And when we first met again, I'm a military kid. I've, I've, my family has traveled many different places, lived overseas. The bulk of the space of my life that I most identified with was in another country. And so when I, so, and, and we've all heard this where people say, oh, I don't see color. We've had, Man, we didn't have any conversation. And here's the thing, and I would say that, yeah. and it would infuriate him. And we were just talking about it yesterday <laughs> because I think the way I really, you just said it with how you've been explaining it to Zoe. As a child, it's I. I mean, I didn't focus on color. I focus on the people that I like, who um, you know, I enjoy being with and around. So the first thing that I see is not that. Uh, well, the distinguishing factor is not that you're black and I'm white. It's like, you're my people. I love you. What have you. When I lived overseas, I didn't look at it that way. 
although I did understand some of the racial differences within that community, even within the Panamanian culture, I understood that, okay? But I never really looked at it like black and white. It was just people, you know? Then I moved to Maine, and it becomes very apparent to me as we're driving all the way up there and I'm thinking man there's less and less black people like I don't see any black people we live in a place that there are very few black people period now then I go to Canada for the first time and I'm called a nigger and I'm like it 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 cut me to the core I wept because I thought what do you mean like there's no separation where people, you know, so, but still in my mind, it's like, it wasn't a white and black world. It's like, and so, and then Quentin would say, this just drives me crazy when you say this. Then I moved from Maine to Virginia and I'm like, oh, this is a whole new ball game. You know what I mean? But he had a really good analogy. And we were talking about that yesterday about how or why people may, may say that because I know when I said, it, and I said it, and, and I said to him yesterday, maybe it was just from being a young child into my, my teenage years. That's really how I chose to look at people. And then I had a little bit of an upgrade and a graduation as a young black woman. I understood like, oh, okay, nah, yeah, I clearly understand I'm black and you're what, you know, it was like, there was a phase of it. So I guess it, it's like, you don't want to create that, just that, that separation like immediately, like you're black and they're white and it's this, it's like kids. That's how you see all these beautiful things with kids and classes together are the two little kids that are running towards each other down the New York street and they just embrace. And it's like the most beautiful thing because they just see another young person that they like being with and spending time with. And that's, I held on to that for a very long time until, you know, I basically got my face cracked and my feelings hurt. You know, and then I had my husband who came to really say, Venus, I think what you really mean is this. You really need to stop saying that. And I didn't realize how much that infuriated people when that statement's made. I, I, I mean, I don't know about in, infuriate. It's just no, people want to check you when you say it. They want to check you when you say that. I don't see color. Yeah. Yeah. Well, OK. Well, we, you know, we even had that in a small group, though. Did. Someone, you know, said that, and you know, I was like, "Look, but it's not a problem <laughs> to right. see my blackness, what I am. Right? I, you right. know, it's okay. That isn't an issue whatsoever. The issue is, you know, harboring, acting on, or treating someone a certain way because of that. Okay. I mean, I think people not all being the same skin color is beautiful. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's okay. You know, that, that's just a thing of aesthetics, right? So it's everything that's beneath that, you know, that's, you know, heart control. That's the problem. Yeah. So. I think to that point, Quentin, like it's, it's the melting pot versus the rainbow, right? Like I don't like the melting pot idea because that means that all these different people and different personalities and different different whatever come together and merge into one right. thing. Yeah. And that's not that's not the beauty of life and of humanity. The beauty yeah. of life and humanity is that you come together with your different perspectives yeah. and you learn from right. each other and you grow yeah. and and you maintain who you are yeah. at your yeah. core. 
right? Like you don't yeah. just wash that away. Like that's that's and when, that's how I feel when people say I don't see color. I'm like, so you don't see me because there are aspects of me that that do come into play. I mean, as a black woman, I identify as black before I identify as woman. And like, it's this weird sort of thing, but like, that's where I'm going to gravitate to first. Right. And so, but the two combined have a unique experience that I have that I bring to the table. And so see me, see me in my entirety. Don't just see these aspects and be like, oh, okay, no, you're cool. It's fine. Like, no, that actually feels more dismissive. And it's not an intent. I don't think it's intended. Right. I would but agree. It, it's the reason. It's, yeah. it, it's the impact. And it makes it easy to run away from something that may be difficult, which is reconciling our differences. I mean, you mm-hmm. would, nobody that has any sense would tell you or advise you to solve any other problem like that by sweeping it under the rug. It's just going to be a lump in the rug. You're going to trip over. That's good. That's good, man. Y'all have been great. Um, This conversation is just one that we could probably talk about forever and ever for hours and hours. Cause I know I have so many more thoughts. Um, I know typically the podcast lasts about an hour and we've been on about an hour and some change now. Um, But who knows? We may do a part two because I'm sure, unfortunately this will probably happen again. So <laughs> we'll probably end up doing something like that. Um, cool. Well, I appreciate you guys for coming on today. Yeah. Hey, hey, Corey. One thing, though. All right. So I, I know, like, my wife and Rashida said they didn't watch the George Floyd video. And, you know, I did. And actually, I, I, I've said to my wife and a few other mm. friends that I wish I had not. Um, because while while it is – because I think there's a buildup of just a buildup of pain from watching, you know, multiple videos of, 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 of people, you know, just people dying when they shouldn't have. But that particular video, um, you watch it and I feel like it takes something away from you that you can't get back. I agree. Mm. I agree. Yeah. That's what I wanted. And, and, and the only other thing is that I wanted to mention is that I feel like there's a misconception around that, you know, I appreciate all the allies and people that, that aren't African-American that have come out and made their voices heard. That's awesome. That is actually giving my heart lift a lot of times to see that not just here, but all over the world. I was actually blown away by London and things in Sydney, Australia, just all, all over. But I, I have wondered, like, okay, a lot of people seem to think, like, that the African-American community has has George Floyd, like, as some kind of patron saint now, yeah. like, on a, on a pedestal. And it's, again, that was a flashpoint, though. It's as much about all yeah. the other names as, as yeah. George Floyd, you know. And I just, you know, and I just don't want that to be kind of forgotten you know it's it is about him and what he and what happened to him it didn't matter if he what he was doing before that he was in custody and that didn't need to happen you know um it's it's just about the weight you know like when you shake up a soda can and open it it was 
yeah. it was like no, that. 100%. I mean, even after, because I'm out there protesting every day, and they mentioned George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Philando Castile. We're, we're, we're still screaming Trayvon. Um, so, yeah, you get all those in the, in the protest. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and I know that, like, I think all of us are under no delusions that, you know, um, abuse of power and, and, say, police brutality just happens to African-Americans. You know, I, I, you know, may have a higher probability of having a, a negative run-in with, say, some officers um, than, say, um, a white person. But I do think that that white person and I have the same probability of getting justice at the end of our negative encounter. You, you, you guys see what I'm saying? You so, know, the, the thing too, I will say it's been, um, I know when George Floyd's daughter says, daddy's changed the world. That was so impactful to me because, you know, I started to think, wow, God, the life of one person, like this absolutely heinous and terrible thing that has occurred has created this motion and this, this activism and, you know, the hearts of people are showing up for change. And, and literally, as sad as it made me, it also made me think about, you know, historically, how there was always someone that had that took the hit, or, you know, sadly lost their life for us to even move some of the, to have some of the advancements that we have today. And it's like, you know, I was um, telling someone, I said, it's so odd that what we're living and experiencing today is going to go down and be in history books. And it's like George Floyd's name now is one of those that, you know, it's like, as a result of this terrible thing, look at what's, look at what's happening now. And I do believe we are, you know, we were raised by the generation that lives through a lot of that. You know, there's surely we were raised in a way. So we knew what was right, wrong and indifferent, but we're raising a generation that I am so um, proud to see are like actively engaged in a way, you know, even when I look at my own child who had these thoughts before we even had the conversation, she was bringing some of this to the table, but we are raising a generation that has the ability to walk out a lot of these changes, you know, at least I hope so, (laughs) you know, um, but it's, but it's, it's pretty um, phenomenal to see and be a, a, a part of and to guide and to even learn from, you know, ourselves so yeah just some final thoughts i had for sure rashida you found that um you know like venus i am extremely encouraged by this next generation um i i look at my nieces and some of the things that they've done down in atlanta um always but especially in the past couple weeks um the other thing that i want to say is just to encourage people wherever they are, like your activism is yours. And for you, Corey is protesting. For me, I've never been a protester, um, but I've, I'm finding my other, mm-hmm. my ways to make impact um, in the way that works for me, but still pushes me out of my comfort zone because I think that's important. Yeah. That's awesome. um, and so I think when we 
because I've, I've seen some of that. Well, you're not out here and you're right. not. And that's that's right. not what this is about. Right. Right. We are all working towards a different path and we need everyone mm-hmm. in their lanes to do that in their way. And so that that's what that's what I want to continue to encourage. I am so encouraged and excited by the allies that I see who are mm-hmm. checking folks on Facebook if they need to, who are laying out facts, who are protesting, who are, you know, activating in their own ways. And I I want to make sure like that is not like that is appreciated and that is necessary. We've Absolutely. been fighting this fight for 400 years, but a system that the system is mm-hmm. working the way right. it was designed. And so it's the system that needs to be dismantled. Right. And the people who are the the target of the oppression are not the ones that can dismantle the system, right. but we can tell you where it's broken. Yeah. And then we all need to come together yeah. to dismantle it. So yes. we all it's all shut hands it all on down. Down. Shut it right. down. Show up and Absolutely. shut it down. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's look, right. Man, we appreciate you guys for coming through, giving us your time. Um, very fruitful, very informative conversation. Uh, if you guys want to follow the podcast, you can do that at Stay Curious Pod on Instagram. Um, you know, Wags is always open to an email, as well as Matt is. Um, they always love to hear your comments. <laughs> uh, other than that, um, appreciate you guys again, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Peace.